the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. When Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven, or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another. If if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the crowd, for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Before I came to Trinity, I had the privilege of working for the Bishop of South Dakota as his canon to the ordinary, which is church language for the Bishop's assistants and all the other dirty jobs he doesn't want to do. (laughs) I worked for him for four years, and it was really a wonderful time in my ministry. It was an opportunity for me to get to know my home state much better, since the diocese covers the entire state of South Dakota, some of the churches being over 400 miles from our diocesan office. The the diocese is made up roughly of of half native and half non-native people, with a total of about 12,000 people and about 92 congregations. It's a difficult place to work, partly because of the distances, but the thing that really defines the Diocese of South Dakota is the great difference between the haves and the have-nots, between the native people and the non-native people. In South Dakota, if you look at a map that shows the government land, you'll see that there are vast uh, expanses of space that have been set aside for reservations. And those reservations, there are nine of them, At least three of them are the poorest counties in the United States. There are some communities in which uh, the unemployment rate is as high as 80%. So one of the things that a person is struck by when they first go to these reservation communities is the extreme poverty. But yet the other thing that is so amazing is that the Lakota people are known for their wit and for their humor. And it seemed that no matter how difficult the situation was, they would always find a way to laugh about it or to laugh about something about themselves in order to lift their spirits. 
I went to a number of those congregations over the period of those four years, and I remember going to a little place called Calvary Church in the small community of Oak Creek, which is on the Rosebud Reservation. I don't recall anymore why I was going there, what I was doing there, but I remember a particular incident that has stuck with me ever since I visited. I was uh, met there by Father Bob, who was uh, a, actually an older priest serving that congregation, non-stipendary. He had retired as a uh, superintendent of schools in a small community, and then after that had pursued a call to the priesthood and was locally uh, trained, educated, and ordained. And he was a wonderful priest. He served the churches that he served. He served very well and had a real heart for the people. Well, when I met Father Bob, as we approached the church, it was a Saturday, and the next day we were going to have services there. On the steps of the church, there, was, there were six quarters set in the form of a cross. And I looked at it with a bit surprised, and he said, you know, that used to uh, trouble me. I used to wonder, what was that all about? I'd come to church the next morning, it'd be on Sunday morning, and there on the step of the church would be these six quarters set in the form of a cross. He said finally that uh, some people told him about the person who was putting it there. A man who was considered to be very faithful within the community, someone who was understood to be a person of great faith, one who did not come to church very often, which was pretty typical of, uh, the, in the native community, but who saw all of life as sacred, all of God's time as sacred. So why would you just set aside one day? This man was a faithful man. And the way, one of the ways at least, that he expressed that faith was by taking six quarters every Saturday evening and going to Calvary Church and placing them in the sign of a cross on the front step. I remember that story. I remember seeing those quarters set in the sign of a cross because it is a reminder to me of the opportunity we have, but also the difficulty that I know I have of reconciling my financial life with my spiritual life. I think that's a reality for all of us. And part of the reason is because uh, we have a different understanding, I think, of God's economy. One of the great benefits, again, of serving among uh, the native people is, and I think this is true of indigenous people all over the world, is that they have a, a really clear understanding of God's economy. That in fact, God is a God of abundance, overflowing abundance. It's everywhere, all around us. And all of us are connected to this creation, this abundant creation that God has given us. We're connected to it, but we don't own it. Now in Western culture, it's about ownership. What do you own? What do you have? What do you make? That's not true in native culture at all. It's about being one with creation. It's about being in community with others and sharing whatever we have together in community. Now, I struggle with that. I struggle with it because it has been so ingrained into me, this idea of ownership, that I have these things. So it's so hard for me to decide what it is I'm going to give away or what it is I'm going to share with someone else. It doesn't help that I'm an only child. <laughs> Sharing has always been a bit of a problem. But I think that is a struggle that all of us have. 
it's very difficult, I think, for us to come to grips with what it really means to be someone who puts so much emphasis on ownership. Well, this past week, we have had our timbers shaken. And some of the ownership questions may be resolved very quickly. And thankfully, we have a government that is doing something about that. If it could only have been done a bit earlier. But I know many of us are very concerned about what's going on in all of these financial markets. What does the future hold for us? And then, of course, uh, God, being a God with a good sense of humor, has all this happening right when the churches are going to begin their pledge drives. <laughs> There's nothing I'd rather talk with you about than committing yourself for the year ahead with your finances, just as we stand at the preface of what could be the worst financial disaster since 1929. But I think that that draws us back to what we see in Scripture. And perhaps it's precisely at this time that we need to make a commitment to the future. Perhaps it's exactly now that we need to step out in faith. And we need to say that we are a people who believe in a God of abundance, not a God of scarcity. That we are a people who know that God cares for God's people and that God's people care for one another. As I was thinking about the events of this uh, weekend and this past week, my thoughts went to that passage from Exodus. And the passage from Exodus that we have for today, it, it, you get a chance to read it later, but I'll tell you about it. It follows on immediately from the passage we had last week. Now, if you can imagine, the Israelites have uh, escaped from slavery, and now Moses, this great leader, has taken them out into the wilderness. They have no idea where they are or where they're going, and they're trudging on day after day. And last week we heard that they were hungry and in need of food, but really what they were saying, we really want the food we had in Egypt, Moses. Why can't you do something about that? But what we, they get instead is manna from God raining down upon them and the quails. God provided for their need. But it seems that that was a lesson in terms of God's providence that they did not learn. Because now they are going on in this wilderness journey and they're thirsty. So thirsty, in fact, that the children and even some of the animals are dying. And they appeal to Moses. To, they don't just quarrel with him. In fact, the Hebrew seems to imply that they make a case against him. They indict Moses. This leader who has taken them out into the wilderness for what? To die? And there's even some talk of perhaps stoning Moses. It is that bad. But the people had forgotten what God had done for them. They had forgotten the lessons that had been learned before that God would provide for them. I don't keep a, a journal, a spiritual journal, and I, I know a few people who do. And often what I hear when I talk with them about what is the value of keeping a journal? What does it do for your spiritual life? One of the things that it, it offers is the opportunity to look back and to look at those things that they see God having done in their lives, where God had been active in their life, where God had provided for their need. And especially during those times when God felt so far off, but yet God was right there. 
I don't know about you, but in my own spiritual life, there are many, many times when I find myself perhaps at the most anxious moments, in the time when I am most fearful, the times when I am least confident in myself or the future, and God seems very far off. But it's only in looking back that we've been able to see that God has in fact been faithful. Because remember, it's not our faithfulness ultimately that makes the difference. It's God's faithfulness. And we know we worship a God who is faithful. Well, finally, Moses pleads with God. And God gives very clear instructions about what he is to do. He's to take the elders with him because there must be witnesses. And they are to go ahead of the people to Horeb, where they will go, and he is to strike the rock with the staff that he used when he overcame Pharaoh. And Moses does that, and apparently the waters uh, flow from the rock, and the people receive the providence of God in the form of water. And we don't really have that very clear in the text, but it is clear one thing that we must not miss is that God said that God would be present at the rock. And then at the very end of the text, we hear what the real question of the people is. The question they ask is, is the Lord among us or not? That's the question for us, I believe, today. It's the question that I have to ask as I think about a pledge drive that's ahead of us during these strange times. It's the question I have to ask as I think about my parents' finances in their 80s and concern about what their future is in our own. Is God among us, or are we in this alone? And the answer is that God is among us. And we know that because Jesus, who was God incarnate among us, said when he left his disciples, and he says it to us, I will not leave you alone. I will be with you until the end of the age. I believe that we must hold on to that truth. We must also remember that our God is a God of abundance, not a God of scarcity. And we must also always recall that as we gather together as a community of faith, we see Christ in the other. You are Christ to me. Christ is present with us in the lives of faithful people. Where is God? Is God among us? Yes. Amen. Amen.